0: This is the Baymaw Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host Brent Billings. Today we continue our review of The Chosen with a discussion on the eighth and final episode of season one. Season one finale. It was,
1: um, had some great moments for me. Not my favorite episode by far. I don't know if it's my least favorite episode. It might be. But a great ending, nonetheless, after all that complaining. A, a great way to end season one. I thought, a fine job. A fine job,
0: not my favorite episode. I do know from the commentary track that they basically planned to end the season with the story of the woman at the well. And they basically worked backwards from there to get to to this point. So this was kind of their plan all along was to end it here. So Okay, well... There you go. So let's go ahead and fire off that spoiler horn and and get into it. So we start actually back in Canaan in 1952 BC. And uh, I I didn't actually think about that date. I'm I'm assuming it probably adds up in some way or another, but um, seems close enough either way. And uh, we see Jacob and he is working on digging a well with his sons. And he does make uh, a comment that he has 12 sons, but he doesn't, uh, we don't know which sons they are and they're not all there. It's like two or three guys. Uh, but a man comes up and is basically like, um, you're never going to find water here. You shouldn't have paid anything for this land. It's worthless, blah, blah, blah. And he talks about, uh, who the gods of Canaan are and what they do. And then Jacob is trying to describe what his own God is like and uh the like just just the struggle to convey who god is to someone else who doesn't know anything about him was interesting and one of the things they said in the commentary track is that they like one of their one of their core tenets is trying to treat the biblical characters more as humans than heroes like yeah it it is a struggle to convey your experiences to people sometimes um but the the guy ultimately was like well, the god you're so, uh, describing sounds pretty strange. Um, I'm not really sure why you why you chose that god. And Jacob says, we didn't choose him. And then his sons call him and they run over there and, and the water is flowing out of the well. And he turns to the guy and he's like, he chose us. So great, great line there.
1: One of my favorite parts of the of the episode, I love the opening scene. So many little things, just so many little things like... I was just I started taking notes and I'm like man I'm gonna have like eight pages of notes if I keep up like this so I just stopped There are so many little things in an opening scene like talking about um you know it's God that makes promises have you ever noticed that gods always keep making promises to us and never fulfill them and Jacob was like well sometimes that you know it takes generations and I'm like oh Hebrews oh and then just uh, the the whole you know we didn't choose him he chose us the the craziness to a pagan world how would like how how they would struggle to understand. Uh, I I kept thinking of Thomas Cahill. Um, we can put this book in the show notes, Brent. Uh, Thomas Cahill, Gifts of the Jews. We have recommended it before, but just how wacky this whole worldview would have been. So many little, just fun, good. I thought that that scene was 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 well done. I
0: thought it was good. It is kind of funny that. Jacob is like, yeah, sometimes it takes generations for promises. But meanwhile, his sons are digging like a foot and a half into the ground, and then <laughs> water starts popping out in this place that literally everybody knows, like, there's no water here, don't buy this land. <laughs> hey, sometimes it takes
1: generations, and sometimes it
0: takes just a matter of a few seconds, Brent Billings. You know, the the movie magic, you gotta, you gotta appreciate it sometimes. Yep, that's right. So then we cut to a woman pulling water from a well, presumably the same well, although fully dug at this point, and comes up and says 80 20, 26 uh, she's all by herself at the well she's very tired uh, but she she presses on and then uh and then we go to the credits and in the commentary track they were talking about um the singer who who does um this opening track plus a lot of the a lot of the other tracks she either has lyrics or at least vocalizations but they kind of used her uh, as like an emotional narrator for the show and pulled all of these musical influences from gospel music, from slave spirituals and all these southern roots and, and these themes of oppression and hope. And I'm like, oh, oppression and hope like that is that is the perfect way to describe like. Everything through session two and through the silent years and and into this moment that Jesus is walking into. So, I really appreciated that.
1: Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, that's interesting about that. I I thought the vo- the voice of the person that does all the singing was so similar to the gal who plays the woman at the well that I was like, oh golly, is that the same person? Like, just when she talks, when she it it, it just seems to you're almost like, man, is that the same voice? But I thought that's where you're headed there for a moment. I'm like, Brent, don't tell me.
0: But, no, no, definitely right. different people All right uh, So then after the credits Fotina is arriving in town With her water She's got two large jars And she enters a house There's a man sitting there uh, who does not turn to look at her, and he comments that he hoped it was someone who was there to hurt or kill him. It's like, wow, dude, <laughs> okay. And she explains how she wants to divorce, and she has the papers, and he's like, well, you can't divorce me. And, and she's like, I know, that's why. The papers are in your name. I just need you to sign it. I'm already living with this other guy. Like, this shouldn't be a problem for you. And uh, he throws the paper in the fire, and he's like,
1: "You're my property, Fortuna. I don't part lightly with my possessions."
0: Well, so, I mean, you already you already could tell that this guy was cold and and pretty cruel, and that's that's just the nail in the coffin for sure.
1: Yeah, I had a hard time like um, like discerning and pulling apart like those dynamics in that scene. I couldn't tell if. He was cold, and I mean, obviously, there's some cold cruelty in there for sure. Was he like, was he sick? Was he, like, I got the impression, like, he's in misery. And I, I kind of even looked to me like he was not well, whether he was an invalid or not. Um, That's kind of what I was picking up there for a moment, but I, I wasn't sure.
0: I definitely came away not understanding what his advantage is. Because by the time, like everyone seems to know who this woman is, like she goes to the market and people don't even want to look at her. They don't want to serve her food. Um, He doesn't want to look at her. He thinks of her as property and, and it's like, well, but if you, like, if he's the fifth husband, like what, what is his advantage to marrying her? Like, what is he getting out of this? Because he doesn't really seem very happy with the relationship and yeah i don't know it just seems like it would it would be more ruinous to his own reputation than would be worth it
1: yeah uh, you know just overall i i made this comment at the beginning of season 1 with mary's storyline like i feel like the makers of chosen have done a decent job taking what i would call the traditional opinion scholarly opinion just popular opinion whatever and running with it without overdoing it, um, my opinion, and we can put this in the show notes too, Brent. I, I preached a sermon with Emmy uh, when I was at when I was still in Moscow, and and Emmy was on staff at Real Life there, and we we talked about the woman on the well, um, woman at the well. If you can if you can link that sermon in the show notes, Brent. We I presented in there an, another theory that I wouldn't call the popular scholastic theory. But there is a take that this woman isn't just – one of the things that frustrates me is we always take these women characters and we're so quick to just make them sexually promiscuous. Like we'll take any hints in the text that seem to suggest that and we will just run with it immediately. Um, and, And sometimes it's warranted and sometimes it's really there and sometimes it's like we don't know if it's there and sometimes I think it's not there. And the woman in the well probably falls in the middle. Like, there's some hints there, probably, maybe, but I'm not sure how conclusive we can be. There's a theory that this woman isn't actually, like, that there that she could be a Samaritan priestess. We we do have records that Samaritans had priest priestesses. Um, that they that if that's the case, she her five husbands could be the the Torah, the Pentateuch, the books of Moses, the one she's living with now that's not a husband. Like these may not be sexual partners and and legal husbands. These may be, they could be potentially, like the, the one she's living with now could be her Samaritan faith that Jesus is saying, well, it's not super valid. It's not really what God called you to. You have five other husbands. Right now you're not living with one that's even your husband. It would explain why she knows so much about the bio. like she knows a lot about theology. This is not just some sexually promiscuous woman. Like she knows a lot. She's engaging Jesus at the well on some pretty intense conversation. It would explain why she's able to convince the whole town because it's interesting if she's so like culturally rejected, why she convinces the whole town to come out and see Jesus in John chapter 4. So it would fill in some other blanks that maybe the typical take doesn't. So here in this episode, obviously, the makers of Chosen are taking the more typical, the more traditional perspective on who this woman is. Eh, the whole time I was just like, oh, I just don't know if I love the portrayal of who she is and her character. and uh, Yeah, I don't know. But anyway,
0: I digress. I have digressed a bit on that topic <laughs> well we will come back to this in the closing scene and i think maybe there's a little bit more redemption there than you would typically expect from a portrayal
1: yeah i, I it wasn't bad they did they did not do a bad job just as a whole let alone how they end up yes
0: right so uh we we jump into matthew's house and they're having the the dinner party there everyone's telling stories and laughing and matthew seems to be taking well to hosting and People are mostly enjoying his company and uh, and and just being amused by by what he's doing, but but really appreciating it. Other than Simon, who's kind of like eh, still a little raw about calling a tax collector and and feeling weird about that, but but he's you know he's trying to keep quiet. And then Yusuf and another Pharisee stop by, uh, and they, they hear the noise and they come to question them, and and uh, and in the commentary Dallas was talking about, uh, you know, Yusuf was sort of a fan of Jesus a little bit before. Um, but, but now he has this like genuine reason to be shocked in that, um, wait a second. You're okay. So you're healing people. You're kind of forming some crowds like, okay, whatever, you know, maybe you're saying some, some crazy stuff, but you know, that's fine but you're going to go eat with tax collectors and sinners. Like, do you know these people? Do you know what they've done? Do you know who they are? And, uh, yeah. So, so Jesus quotes Hosea to them and tells them to, to go study it. And they're like, look, okay, you know what? People are going to be watching every single word you say. And then, then Gaius comes in and the Pharisees are like, Oh, Nope, no trouble here. And they, they run away. And then Matthew steps out to talk to Gaius and Gaius is like, look, are you sure you want to do this? like it's not too late to change your mind. You're throwing everything away. Gaius you know acknowledges like, look, Matthew, you're the one who got me promoted. like he has you know a little bit of a personal take there um but he also obviously uh, and we'll see this later with Matthew's parents, but like Gaius definitely has a fondness for Matthew, but he also has quite a bit of personal advantage to having Matthew around because Matthew uh makes his work better and easier. Um and then ultimately Matthew asked Gaius for a favor and and I think that it ends up being he doesn't actually say it in the scene, but I think that's asking Gaius to go to his parents and give them the key to his house and all that stuff.
1: Yeah. Uh you know, I didn't even think about that. I didn't even try to resolve what that favor was, but I think you're right. Yeah. Now that you say that, it makes all kinds of sense. Way to pay attention, Brent.
0: I figured that out as it was coming out of my mouth because I, I wrote that down and I'm like they never actually go back and, and show it at any point. But but then you see guys in Matthew's parents' house.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, that scene had so many great things. Uh, for, I, I just feel like the scene was well acted, well directed. I don't know who to give the credit to, everybody. Like that scene was super like that, – that scene was tense. Like as I watched it, that scene was like you felt the social tension. Like I would never be caught dead inside that room. Um, it is what, you know, Yusef says at the very beginning, uh, the, the facial expressions from like some of the nonverbal acting of that scene was just the, like some of the nodding, like Jesus nods to Gaius when he comes in the, just the, some of the expressions on the disciples' faces, Matthew. I just thought that scene was really well done. My favorite line of that scene, uh, it, talking to Gaius, like you're, you're Germanic, right? You guys surrendered. Well, I I and and he's like, Yeah, it was the right thing to do. And Matthew says, Well, well, I'm surrendering too. And he doesn't use the language of kingdom, but I thought, oh man, that's so good. Like Matthew sees the same thing that Gaius and his Germanic people saw in the kingdom, the Empire of Rome, Matthew sees in a different kingdom. I'm surrendering to that. And and I have this sense, this awareness that uh, this kingdom is up to something even bigger and better. I, I all that being unsaid, but I loved that line. Um, I'm surrendering too. I like that.
0: Yeah, and this scene really rewards multiple watchings, where you do get to like go back and see what some of the other characters are doing, how they're reacting, you know, what they're doing in the background. And we have you know a number of secondary characters who have shown up a few times throughout the season at this point. Uh, so like you know Matthew's joking with Barnaby about how he likes to eat a lot and, and just, you know, there's a little bit more richness to those characters because they're not, Matthew's not making that comment to a random person. He's making it to someone who we kind of know a little bit, even though they, they haven't been, you know, following around with Jesus and, and being in every episode. But right. So then uh, we go to Nicodemus and he's in prayer. Zahara comes in and asks about his upcoming speech. And, you know, he's like, yeah, it's not a big deal she's trying to make him realize like, Hey, you're, you're about to receive this great honor. And, uh, Zohara, you know, they're, they're talking about like difficult choices. And Zohara Zohara says, God comforts us on difficult paths. And Nicodemus says, maybe, but, but maybe we're called to those difficult paths by God. And she says, uh, you know, our time in Capernaum grows short and he kind of like, feels like, Oh Yeah. Time is short. Uh, I, I'm struggling, but I need to make a decision soon because I'm almost past my opportunity. And Zahara um, comments, she's like, "Look, I love our life, and I want to go back to it." He's like, "Yeah, yeah, I love it too." And. And, like, you just sense that that struggle with him at that point.
1: Yeah, another great scene. I think I'm realizing I just hated the main storyline of this episode. But all the sub-stories, I really loved. Like, there are some of my favorite sub-stories in there. Like, I love they brought in, in the story of Hagar. Um, man, and what a redemptive way. Like, I, I even put just took separate notes about just his fly-by interpretation of the story of Hagar and what she was in. Like, I felt like that was so redemptive. And I was so surprised... I mean, here's this side story of a side plot, kind of like a passing biblical reference. It would be so easy, and I would expect Christian cinema to like just kind of throw that kind of character under the bus, just these passing references God's people, the save, the loss, the part of the promise. And yet, um, whether that was just, you know, lucky or totally intentional and they're aware, like, what a beautiful. Um and he's pulling himself into Hagar's story. Yeah, I just loved that. That was very, was very redemptive. If I do say so myself, I like I like that.
0: So then we go to Quintus calling in Gaius. Uh, you see you see Gaius come in with um, a bunch of soldiers behind him. So he's kind of more in a training role at this point, it seems. And Quintus calls him aside and, and into his office, and he's like, "Hey, um, what are we doing about crowd control?" and like we everything seemed fine but then we had some delays and we can't let that happen again and uh make some comments about matthew and and then guys is like well you know so about matthew he actually quit and uh he went to follow jesus and quintus is like oh i really don't like that man
1: great line love that line very well delivered
0: yeah yeah the delivery was fantastic So then we're with Jesus and his disciples and they're packing up their camp again. And we see them doing this a lot. Like they're just really hammering home. Like, Hey, they don't, they don't have a place to stay permanently. Like they're constantly on the move, constantly packing and unpacking, uh, which is great. Like they don't really, they don't shove it down your throat, but it's, it's there. And, uh, James and John show up and they're like, Hey, we got food from our Ema. And, uh, I kind of expected a bigger response from that because everyone was so disappointed that she wasn't cooking the last time, but they don't like, they don't really say anything about that. But Jesus is explaining to them how their journey is going to be three days instead of six. You know, there's, there's the comments about Simon and, and how he can't run. Um, and he has bad shins and all this stuff. And, and, you know, in the commentary track they're like, obviously we're setting this up for Jesus's tomb being empty and Peter leaving to see the tomb first, but John passes him on the way. So they're setting that up and, uh, Jesus remarks like, Hey, Simon, you've been pretty quiet. What's troubling you. And and he says, you don't already know what's in my head. And Jesus says, that's a conversation for another time. And this is kind of like, obviously we talk about the God goggles a lot in session three. I think this is kind of a major theme of this whole episode is whether or not Jesus is using God goggles. So there's a there's a few more times where that idea comes up. One of my frustrations with this episode.
1: It shows up a lot in my notes. I'm trying to play nice, but golly, I find that irritating whenever they do that.
0: Yeah, yeah. And the definitely the big one comes in our closing scene and and we'll talk oh, about that. The worst. When when I saw that scene, I was like, Oh yeah, Marty's not gonna like this episode as much as, well as he does the other one's <laughs> Marty's not gonna like the
1: closing decision with season one.
0: Yeah, it's okay. But uh I, I love the I love the exchange there. Um what does Jesus say? He says something like, um, "Simon, everyone here knows what you're thinking most of the time. It does not take God's wisdom." They they look around at the other disciples and they're all like, eh, "Yeah, yeah, he's right. Like, <laughs> we don't have to wonder." Yep. Uh, so anyway, Simon goes on. He's he explains how he's worried about Eden having to care for Emma alone, and Jesus is like, "Yeah, yeah, you know, she could get worse, and and you won't be around to help." And Simon's like, uh, "This proves." You know this. This proves that you know what I'm thinking, and and that's that's when he he pops out like, yeah, yeah. Everyone typically knows what you're thinking already.
1: Well, and another well-delivered line. I thought I thought that was good.
0: So then we're back with Nicodemus. Uh, apparently, right after the ceremony um, that was honoring him, and Yusuf comes in and congratulates him, and they praise God. And then Shmuel comes up, and you know, makes some similar compliments, and and Nicodemus says, you know, Shmuel, you're gonna probably be an important leader in our time uh, or in due time. And and Shmuel says, you know, I I have these greater ambitions. Maybe I'll be teaching across Judea or even in Jerusalem. And Nicodemus is like, well, I don't know if you want to make those proclamations yourself. Like God's the one who chooses where, where the work takes us. And he's Shmuel says, well, you know, I've become passionate about something I've become passionate about false prophecy and when he, when he says that line, like Nicodemus completely changes his attitude about the whole conversation. And here's, here's another God goggles thing. Like Shmuel was troubled by the the fact that Jesus knew what he was thinking, but he's like, no, of course he knew what I was thinking. Because what else would I be thinking when he says something like that? Correct. So, you know, Shmuel, uh, an unlikely ally in your in your god goggles uh, argument. Absolutely. Says the obvious thing that everybody should know. So, Shmuel says, you know, Jesus claimed to be God and Nicodemus you didn't address that at all when he said that. And um Shmuel says he's appealing to or what, what is he doing? He's petitioning or something um to somebody and and they they're supposed to study things about false prophecy. And Nicodemus is like, oh, okay, so you've got uh, politics and and promotion, like that's what you're concerned about. And Shmuel says, no, 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 this is this is about the law, and the law is God. And I'm like, wow, what a what a line, and, and that sounds really weird to us today. But I don't think that wouldn't that wouldn't have been as weird for them to say at the time.
1: Man, and I'm not sure it should it should sound as weird to us today. I mean, there's an awful lot of. I mean, if we were just to swap out law with doctrine, I mean, we 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 treat things the exact same way. And I love that tension. I don't know if that's one episode ago or two episodes ago where they were having that conversation about, you know, uh, w- when Nicodemus and Shmuel were by themselves in the synagogue in the study room, and they were talking about, like— well, is God God over Scripture, or is God like a Scripture God? Or I mean, like they were already wrestling with this tension, and now Shmuel's been like, "No, I have a position. the The Torah is God," which was their position. Like we talked about the Gospel of John. You know, in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was Torah, and the Torah was with God, and the Torah was God. That was a very Jewish. And yet, Nicodemus's point is: well, the danger of that is when our understanding, our interpretation, our which is what he said in that previous discussion is it is it torah or is it our interpretation of torah that ends up and that's what's so dangerous and i think we would we would say very similar things with different words but make the exact same point to uh to our demise
0: and shmuel has been pretty insistent throughout the conversation like hey look everything that i'm doing i learned from you like i learned under your your great tutelage or whatever he said And, and Nicodemus is like, well, look, I'm not going to oppose what you're doing now, but you need to understand that you have learned nothing from me. Yeah. Great line. Great line. Love it. So then we're back with Eden and she's caring for Ema and, um, Ema asks where Simon is. And Eden's just like a, a little bit taking it hard. And, uh, she leaves the room and then Jesus shows up and she's like, uh, well, hey, I, didn't, I didn't expect to see you here and he's like yeah most people don't seem to expect me and uh, Jesus says you know we have this special connection because you saw something in Simon a long time ago and and now I see something in Simon special and, and so we have this connection because we both see something in him we both see his potential and then Simon and Andrew pop in and they're like hey we're going to go sell these nets so you, so uh, there's some money that we can leave behind and Jesus is like no you need to stay in Spend time with Emma. So then Jesus continues with Eden and he's like, look, I got to acknowledge you and Simon are married. You're one flesh. Anything that he sacrifices is also your sacrifice. You do have a role to play. It's not going to be easy, but I see you. Do you understand that? And he says, you know, what you have to do is not going to be easy, but I am going to take care of some things before we leave. So then Jesus goes in to see Ema, and he takes her hand and starts to pray. Everyone's watching really closely because they've seen a couple of things happen before. And then Jesus says, leave her. And then Ema just sits up abruptly. And she looks over at Jesus, and she's like, who are you? Um, And so they get introduced, and she welcomes him. And then she jumps up. She's like, I don't know what I'm doing in this bed. I got to get drinks for everyone. I got to get food for everyone. Does does your friend like goat cheese? And he's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I like goat cheese." <laughs> and so he wanders out there, and then Eden and Simon are alone, and Eden is like, "Look, thank you, me, for what? <laughs> for obeying
1: and following him, let him here." Yeah, great scene. Um, I- I've been like aware of like, okay, are they just playing up this complementarian uh, patriarchy, you know, good woman that stays home? Like, I'm relatively confident the way they're treating Mary Magdalene, I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic they're going to keep like showing all different kinds of women in all kinds of different roles and and women that are out in front and taking the lead and being like a much more egalitarian worldview and as long as they do that, I love celebrating this other role. Uh, I mean, people that were listening to session six that uh, Becky joined me on the uh, on last uh, on on the episode before we started doing the chosen commentary, um, and we chatted about how we both share a more egalitarian worldview, but we practically function in much more traditional, like uh, a more complementary. Uh, complementarian-like family role, not because that's what our conviction is, but just because that's how we are designed and want to operate. Um, theologically, we'd we'd fall in line with a much more egalitarian worldview. Um, and, and so con- with that in the back of my mind, as long as we're going to affirm all those different expressions and all those different roles, I found that scene very meaningful because I see so much of, of Becky and my wife in and who Eden is, and how Eden chooses to operate, and I find a lot of resonance in that, so I I thought that was super beautiful. Wanted to not just say, oh, that's great and beautiful, without acknowledging what potentially could be problematic with that portrayal, but I'm optimistic that it comes in the midst of so many other things, all different kinds, all different kinds, hopefully is what we're seeing.
0: Yeah. And the point is not to say that the traditional way of doing things is bad, but if you don't have a choice and that's your only option, then that's not so good. Correct. So Correct. if you have the option and that's what you choose, then great. Yeah. And we do have, you know, the biblical text with Peter being, being a married man and a disciple of Jesus. So are we going to choose right. to see the other side of that relationship, to understand the struggles uh the joys you know both both sides of it Uh, are we going to see that and and jesus says i see you so are we gonna are we gonna take that step and and be willing to see eden in her role as well very well said brent billings Mm. so then we cut to fotina she's walking through um a market shopping for some food uh she picks up an orange uh which we find out later is is fairly significant but the shopkeeper is like, hey, we don't serve your kind here. And she's like, what kind is that? And he won't really talk to her, uh, won't look at her. And she's like, that's fine, I'll serve myself. She drops her money. And, like, she could very easily just take the orange because he's not willing to go after her, not even willing to look at her. Um, and, and she calls that out specifically. But but she does the right thing, and she pays for the food and, and then moves on. And then we have uh, Quintus, and he is making an order to restrict religious gatherings outside of synagogues and schools
1: make the decree in Greek Aramaic and Hebrew although the sign was only in Hebrew
0: yeah and I found out in the commentary track actually they they messed up one of the words um, and they they were one letter off on something and apparently they made they wrote something that was uh, vulgar I think or or some something that was bad <laughs> and so they actually so the, the first editions of the DVDs that went out, um, had the original stuff, but then they, um, they hired some, some, uh, CGI artists to, to fix it for later printing. So if you have an early version, the wording is slightly different from, from what we see later.
1: Well, that's interesting. Cause I actually stopped the video cause I'm like, is that print? Like it was so well done. Like the calligrapher who the, the scribe who did this, it looks like it's printed right off of a printer. And when I paused the video, I was like, okay, no, it's got some stroke. Like, it looks like it's actually been, you know, actually done in ink, like not. You know, but but it's interesting to know that it's a CGI version of that. It's very interesting.
0: Yeah, at least one, one word or maybe just one letter is digital in a later edition. <laughs>
1: yeah, I wonder how much they had to adjust to make that work. But very, very
0: interesting. All right, all right. The more you know. Right. He did not go into detail about what it said or... Yeah. Whatever. So I have no idea. Somebody who speaks Hebrew is going to have to investigate that. Uh, but but he also says, you know, if anyone sees Jesus, like we want to bring him in for question. So then we're um, then we're back. Uh, well, the the disciples are are at their different homes and they're packing up, getting ready to leave for this next journey. Uh, Zohara is directing a bunch of people. They they have professionals who come and pack up their stuff, and she's telling them what to do and i didn't notice this did you notice so nicodemus walks through in the background that's that's fairly obvious but did you notice what he was carrying
1: uh i i noticed he was carrying something um and i i'm even surprised i noticed he was even in the shot at all i know what shot you're talking about i did not notice what he was carrying no
0: he was carrying the purple bag that had the gold uh, coins uh, in oh
1: yeah 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 okay yeah yeah i was gonna guess that but i did not see that per se
0: yeah yeah i didn't see it either um So, uh, then we're Simon and Eden, he kisses her and he leaves. And then they all, they're all meeting at this fountain and Nicodemus is kind of watching from around the corner and Jesus, I don't know if Jesus actually sees him around the corner, um, or not, but he, he's like, Hey, is everyone here? And the disciples are like, Oh yeah, this is everybody. And Jesus kind of like, you know, stands on his toes and, and kind of speaks up a little bit. He's like, is there anyone else? And then at that point, Simon notices the bag of money. They pick it up, and Matthew's like, "Ah, that's that's quite a bit. That's going to last us a couple weeks." Everybody's pretty excited, and Jesus is like, "Ah," and he says quietly, "You know, you came so close." And then Nicodemus, as they're leaving, Nicodemus is just weeping bitterly around the corner. Such,
1: such good acting. Like I think uh, whoever the act, you've told told us already, the actor that plays Nicodemus is just so good at his role just one of the best uh actors in this whole thing uh that that was such a gut wrenching it's probably because i resonate with nicodemus's character so much but such a gut-wrenching like scene like so well acted
0: love it yeah and i feel like that kind of emotion is really hard to portray well on on film yeah
1: Yeah. And done well. And it wasn't like because of like, I mean, there's a score to the movie, like there, you know, there's music going on, but not like overdone because of the, sometimes it's the score that really provokes. Um, And that was, that was all those things with really, just really good acting in that scene. I could feel it. I could feel that one. It was a good one.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So then we're at the scene with uh, Gaius visiting Matthew's parents and they're like, look, we don't know what he's doing. And uh, the commentary there, they're talking about like, you know, there are a lot of fans of the Matthew character and it's easy for, for fans to forget like the other characters in the show really don't like him. So you got to remember like, just because he seems likable and relatable to us doesn't necessarily mean that that's, what everyone else at the show is feeling about him.
1: And that's just good writing. Cause you're building that tension. Cause whenever people like don't like him, you're so torn up inside. You're like, Oh, like, don't you dare do that to Matthew? But that, that's exactly what they've got to do for, for good,
0: good cinema. So, um, guys gives them the key to Matthew's house. And like, we're not going to accept this. And he's like, yeah, yeah. Matthew knew you weren't going to, um, but sell it, do whatever. I don't care. And, uh, then takes him outside and is like, Hey, I've got this dog here for you too. And they're like, uh, cause dogs are not really generally accepted as, as pets at that point. So Matthew, because he didn't have any other friends or people who liked him, like he, he had a dog because he didn't have anyone else. But in general, like people don't keep dogs. And so the, the parents are very uncomfortable with having the dog around at that point. And Gaius tries to convince them, like, yeah, no, there's some practical reasons why you should have a dog, but but they're they're not into it. Yeah,
1: definitely not uh, a norm, a cultural norm. And yet, I, you know, I I got the impression. I think Gaius has, you know, the impression too that Matthew has the dog, like, even for practical protection purposes, um, which I think would have would fit that cultural norm. Because you can even see, like, right at the end of the scene, the dog makes a noise, and they're like both parents are kind of like scared looking at the dog and the dog didn't even make a growling noise it was just like Ugh, like Ugh, and he like shields the wife
0: <laughs> so yeah right right so guy says he's getting ready to leave he's like hey look if you hear from matthew tell me about it because people are looking for jesus and it would be better if i hear about it first than for somebody else to hear about it so he um he kind of starts to get choked up about, about Matthew, and he's like, yeah, yeah, there's, uh there's somebody out there who's really fond of your son. And then he kind of runs off before he loses it. And uh, the parent's like, oh, interesting, he's got a friend. So then uh, we see them walking out in the wilderness, and Matthew spots uh, Jezreel, pulls out his map, starts talking about how they need to go east, and uh, also in the commentary at this point. Dallas is saying, like, yeah, we've gotten lots and lots of comments about Jesus's backpack, um, but we looked into this. It's a historically accurate piece. Like, they probably would have had things that were very similar to this. I'm like, okay, he, he didn't really go into what his sources were on that, but I guess I guess they did look into it. I know we talked about the backpack at some point earlier on.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with it. I'm sure if they did their due diligence, then there you go. They had backpacks, nearly nice leather ones with straps like that.
0: There you go. Who knew? Yeah, the uh, yeah, hand, hand sewn. In the case of the one that Jesus is using in the show.
1: I mean, I'm sure they did. I mean, like it doesn't take a you know, it's not a new technology to have a a backpack. Maybe the design. I don't I don't know what people's issue are, but there you go. He has a backpack. <laughs> Maybe people want to know because they want their own. I want a Jesus backpack. I want to be able to buy that backpack.
0: Yeah, Dallas did say they're working on it. <laughs> so.
1: <laughs> so great,
0: so great. So anyway, Jesus uh starts to head off the other direction, basically the opposite of what Matthew told him that they needed to go, and like, yeah, yeah, we're going through Samaria, and it was everyone is like, What? Are you kidding me? You know, uh Big James is like they're 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 Samaritans. <laughs> He's like Jesus is like, "Yep, what's your point?" <laughs> so, you know, everyone's like, "Well, you know, they we, we fought at this time and and they did this to us and blah blah blah." And Jesus is like, "All that stuff is meaningless. It's all in the past. Like, let's let's go." Listen. If we are going
1: to have a question and answer session every time we do something you're not used to, it's going to be
0: a very annoying time together for all of us.
1: Yes, a great line. One of my favorites. Wonderfully, wonderfully written.
0: So then they cut to a shot it's the editing is maybe a little bit weird they cut to a shot of the sun rising it's like oh okay so apparently it's the next like it felt like it should have been a sunset shot um but the sun is rising so apparently it's the next morning they stayed somewhere unclear where it is but they're in homes uh we see you know mary coming out of one house and then uh i think it's um James and Thaddeus coming out of another house or something. I can't remember. Probably could be. They
1: they mentioned that they were going to be in Tiberius. If you remember Peter saying, "We have to make it uh, to Tiberius to spend the night," so I am assuming they're in Tiberius, which would make sense that Thaddeus. You'd see them, because that's more likely. They're probably more Herodian
0: in nature. So, so where is Tiberius in relation to Jezreel, though? Well, Je-
1: well, that's a great point, because that would kind of be going backwards. So Tiberius is right there on that southeastern coast of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Jezreel is going to be... Man, how did they make that work? I mean, Jezreel is going to be more south and more... Uh, more south, more west... From Tiberius, yeah. I don't know how they. I don't know how they're putting those details together.
0: Yeah, a little bit unclear. Maybe not completely thought through. But ultimately, it doesn't matter. I did think the detail of them, like, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna show up at a in a in a town, and you know they're gonna split up to you know every every home is gonna host like one or two people, and uh-huh. and so that was a nice little. I mean, ultimately, the hospitality if if it came to it one house could easily host you know the eight of them or whatever sure. it's not not that large of a crowd but like you know like oh we're we're all passing through like they probably probably lots of people are coming out and meeting them or whatever so you know they don't really go into all of it and they don't show that much but i i think what they show is just like a nice little like oh yeah this is kind of what it would be like for them as they're going from town to town yep so then they're approaching the well that we saw Fatina at, uh, earlier in the episode and the disciple, the disciples discuss, uh, you know, we need some food. Maybe we should go into town. And Jesus says, yeah, you guys all go, uh, I'll be fine here. Just meet me back at the well. So Jesus sits down and then Fatina, uh, approaches. It's, it's the right time of day, midday. And Jesus rolls right into the John four conversation and they do like, you know, they, they expand it a little bit. They make it a little bit more conversational than when you, what you see in the biblical account. But they're pretty much going through John four, you know, word for word, with just a little bit of extra stuff to make it flow narratively.
1: Yeah, and I didn't. I, didn't, I wasn't sure how I felt about that. Um, I was already poo pooing so much about this episode that I, I thought like, yeah, that's okay. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> the you know the notes that I do have, and I don't even know how to talk about this. Well, I I don't even know what to do with this. They're they're open thoughts. They're unresolved thoughts for me. This conversation, if it were to happen in today's culture, um, I mean, I just I just got done a few minutes ago, Brent, talking about complementarianism and egalitarian like egalitarian posture. Like Jesus takes a very like, you know, here's here's another man just you know telling a woman her business. Like and and I'm not saying Jesus' posture. I was more caught up in, and I thought they even portrayed that tension. Well, she talks about oh, just one more man kind of getting in the way of me doing my thing, and yet I I thought, man, there is like a challenge here. There's like from people that come from my more, and everybody's always like, I think everybody has me pegged in some weird camp, but I, I typically come from a more. If hopefully this doesn't surprise anybody, 220 episodes in, like a more liberal, progressive uh, reference point. Um, I think there's a challenge for people with my perspective here. I, I, man, I just know a ton of people from my worldview would have written this whole, would have never even gotten deep enough into this conversation to have this experience with Jesus um, because it would have been written off two sentences in, as and i don't know what to do with that i'm not making some grand statement about i just want to be challenged by that not that this is the historical rendering of how jesus had the conversation i'm just saying uh, it makes me pause and go okay do i need to learn how to listen more and be less quick to assume am i communicating that well
0: brent yeah although i think maybe uh Maybe appropriately, I'm not quite sure which side of the conversation you're saying that from. I'm thinking of the woman's side where Jesus is is just, he's he's making simple comments. He's not saying a whole lot. And she's just immediately jumping to conclusions about where he's coming from, what his purpose is there, what he thinks of her, all of this stuff. Is that Kind of the side you're coming at it from, but because I feel like you could be the opposite side. That's the side I'm wanting to. Yeah, I, I'm wanting to kind of just
1: raise a challenge for those of us, and I'm just going to say it for those of us that are liberal progressives that are always like out to catch the patriarchy and catch all the stuff. Like, yeah, I, I I think there's a challenge there of let's make sure we're not. And maybe this is even autobiographical for me. I think people. I think I feel like that happens to... Man, I'm not trying to put myself in Jesus' shoes here. That's not my point. See, I'm already doing it.
0: (laughs) Well, I I hope we can put ourselves in Jesus' shoes. Like, that is is what we're striving for, right? So it's okay to see yourself in Jesus sometimes. Well, Because hopefully you look at least a little bit like him. But based on where my next statement is headed, it's probably
1: not a great practice. Like, I'm not trying to put myself as a white male in the teacher's shoes. But I do feel like so often... Uh, You know, I live in a world. I live in a world that's predominantly conservative evangelical. I try to live in that space, speak in that space, speak to that space. And so quickly and so often, we immediately make assumptions. We we immediately get labels. I'm immediately, you know, accused of being complicit. And and I think I see that tension in this scene. Um, The whole time wanting to recognize... I mean, honestly, there's a whole nother part of me, the progressive liberal part of me, Brent, that was quite uncomfortable with the way that Jesus, and I realized that the Jesus actor is not the actual Jesus. I get that point. But if it was the actual Jesus, I caught myself being like, man, you, you really shouldn't say it like that, Jesus. You really should change your approach. You really should change your tone. Um, and maybe the real Jesus did. And uh, I don't know. There's just a whole lot in that scene that has me thinking, Brent. I think that's all I'm trying to say. And I don't know. There we go. Sure. And
0: with that, we probably have made this episode the longest
1: (laughs) we've probably ever had.
0: (laughs) We're not quite there yet, but we still have a few things to talk about. Uh, So after the point where Jesus says he's the Messiah, he starts actually naming her husbands and going into very intimate details about things. And, uh, you know, on, on the one hand, this is like throwing the God goggles idea, <laughs> right, right in your face. Um, uh, but on the other hand, it's like giving her like, Oh, her experience, like she was, a she was this young optimistic woman and she gets married and she's all excited about everything, but he was a bad man. And he really like, wrecked your perspective on what marriage is and, and what relationships are supposed to be. And then you get with the second guy and and this is where the orange thing comes in. Like he smelled like oranges on, on your wedding night. And so you, you always think of him with the oranges. And he was truly a good man, but you didn't feel worthy, so you sabotage the whole thing. And he doesn't go into to any further names after that point because she she gets the point. But Dallas was saying in the commentary We had to explain how does she get from from this random woman like going to get water, not knowing anything, having this encounter with Jesus. There's not like it is a fairly lengthy story as far as the Bible is concerned, but there's really not a whole lot of detail there. How does she get from that point to this fiery evangelist for Jesus and what he's doing so quickly? And so like. Jesus being able to name those guys and talk about what her life is like, that's how they chose to portray it as explaining it.
1: Well, there you go. I've been told if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say nothing. So <laughs>
0: it's not going to say nothing. Do you feel like that redeems her character, though, a little bit more so from from the earlier portion of the episode?
1: Uh, on that aspect. Yeah, sure. I get, I get what you're saying there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think, yeah, it, it humanizes if you're going to take that slant on who she is and where she's coming from, and if that's the, the picture you're going to paint, which I don't fault them for, it's the more popular opinion, um, then then yes, I, I think they they did a good job of, of humanizing her character and not just making her this unbelievable harlot and, you know, whatever. Uh, I, I appreciate that part of it, yes. There are other ways they could have accomplished what they were trying to do, but nevertheless...
0: <laughs> sure, so at that point, um Jesus says, "You know, look, other people are going to reject you, but the Messiah doesn't reject you, and kind of the the light switch flips for her, and she believes, and man, I tell you what, like I don't know what it is, but all all of these episodes seem to hit me harder emotionally when I'm trying to take notes when I'm not really like engaged in watching it. I'm trying to take notes." And these things happen I'm just like uh' oh, so good uh, you know yeah I like yeah it doesn't matter who else rejects you because I don't reject you and like that is what you know yep hit, hit me hard so she starts to run to town uh, the disciples are coming back with the food she's like I have food and Andrew's like what wait what food <laughs> okay
1: but but before that I loved the picture of the messianic secret Um, that I think we talked about in session three, but, you know, before she runs off, she says, you know, I'm going to go tell everybody. And Jesus is like, well, I was hoping you would. And if you flash back to the leper scene, like Jesus is like, just do me this one favor, don't tell anybody. And that whole, I believe we talk about it in session three, the whole concept of the messianic secret. And yet a great way to view it in cinema form here, where... When you have the leper in a in the Galilee, in a Jewish context, Jesus is like, listen, we're not the whole Nicodemus, the Pharisees, the Red Quarter like, scene, like all that stuff. Like, I need you to not make a big deal about this. This religious world is not ready to have this conversation. Go to Samaria, go to the Decapolis, go to these pagan settings, Jesus is like, yeah, I'm kind of hoping that you're just going to go tell the whole city. Right. Because... Um, because they, they don't have all the religious baggage. And again, I feel like that's super instructive for us because I think we could learn from that as well. But nevertheless, I, I like that part of it.
0: Yeah. And Jesus says, you know, it's harvest time. We're going to be here for a couple of days. Yes. And Simon's like, "Whoa, well, wait a second. Wait a second. Like, you you told her who you are? And he asked, he he repeats the question several times, like... Really? You actually told her? Because the other disciples yeah, are like, he's what just food? Freaking out, <laughs> excited. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: The other disciples are just trying to figure out, like, where did he get a sandwich? And Peter's like, which I did love that. It ends on that high note. We're like, listen, Peter has all the stigma. Like, Peter is like anti tax collector. Peter's struggling with Samaria. Well, I don't know. You know, Peter hasn't struggled with Samaria to the extent the other disciples did. He kind of sat in the back of the pack. And Jesus is like, listen, if we need protection, Peter's going to be there. Peter's like, you got it. You know, like Peter hasn't, Peter had a problem with Matthew and the tax collector, but I love that Peter's excitement for the mission overcomes his cultural stigma about the sinner, the outcast. Like, I'm sure that Peter still wasn't thrilled about being in Samaria, but he's more thrilled that, like, we're getting on with it. Let's do this thing. And I, I did like that. Uh, That ending that that was great
0: So then you know a fun little like Photographer production perspective here So as they start to leave They have this crane shot the crane is where Like the camera starts low and then it races Up into the sky yep so they have this crane Shot and goes up over the, the Covering that's over the well And and they match that shot they had the Exact same shot from earlier in the episode But this time they match it and You know it's this beautiful sunset light Like the sun is right down there above the Mountains long shadows uh across jesus and the disciples and then you cut to the front of them and it's just this beautiful soft diffused light and and then you think about like the scene it's like oh this woman was supposed to be at the well at midday so there's like (laughs) three different environmental settings but it all works it's all beautiful and they're they're walking uh towards the town jesus like this great song is playing and Jesus has uh, like a piece of grass or some wheat in his mouth, which I thought was a great little detail. And uh, yeah, yeah, they're they're on, they're they're doing it now. Man, you just
1: you just got me with the whole time of day thing. I didn't even pick that up, and now you you've ruined that
0: moment. Look at that. Well, I didn't catch it the first time I watched. So no, we just got suckered by the design. Wow. Yeah, I, I, there's no reason not to. Like, there are plenty of things like that where it's like. Ah, this this shot doesn't actually fit. Like, if you think about it chronologically, wow, because everybody would be that moment, but it looks so good, so you have to use
1: it. Yeah, that that moment with the sun setting and all that stuff, like that that would be when everybody is actually out of the well. That everybody would have just gotten their water and been going back with them. You're so right. That's so man, man. Look at that. <laughs>
0: <Woo>! <laughs> yeah, there's there's a shot in Star Wars uh, where. It's sometime, you know, in the middle of the day, like there's definitely, it's not a sunset situation, but there's this one shot where it's this like super bright, warm sunset light and all the TIE fighters are coming in uh-huh. and it's, it's just cuts that one shot. And the shot is so cool. And it doesn't fit at all, like when you stop and think about it. But it looks so good, and they put it in the movie, and you don't even think about it because you, you know, it's just so good. So, that kind of stuff happens all the time. Man, Brent, you're starting to get on a little roll here these last two episodes with noticing all the camera faux pas. You're gonna bring this into, you're gonna bring the same heat into season two. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) If you, if you know how to look for this stuff, like you're gonna see it. Like it just, it's just a reality of production. Like you, you know, sometimes you get a chance to go back and reshoot something if you. If you have something that you didn't realize, but you know, sometimes the blue jeans make it into the background of the shot in Gladiator and nobody notices until the DVD, like <laughs> it made it through its entire theatrical run and nobody noticed, you know? Oh no, don't tell me about that. I don't even know about blue jeans in Gladiator. Is that a thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh no. I, I think they removed it for some of the later releases, but like you, you don't notice, like it's just, wow. you know, whatever. Who knew? <laughs> So then, like, I thought this was going to be a long episode. It is a long episode of our podcast, that's for sure. Uh, But the the chosen episode is actually quite a bit shorter than, than it says on the tin, because there are nine minutes of credits. And I think seven of those minutes are the names of all of the supporters... Oh, yes. Um, yep. The the non-anonymous supporters, you know, there's even there's even more anonymous supporters. I did look for your name, Marty, and I didn't find it. I found one other Solomon, but no Marty Solomon.
1: I, it either had to come in before a certain date uh, of production, which I might not have made it in, or they have a ceiling on who they actually mentioned. Yeah. But I don't know. I gave an awful lot of money, Brett.
0: I really feel like I probably made it on that list somewhere. But. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you would have qualified if you hadn't met the production deadline. So I'm assuming that's what it is, but I just wanted to say, I did look for you. I didn't even like, I hadn't seen the chosen until we started doing these episodes. So I completely missed the boat on that. Now I'm like, man, I wish I had 500 grand so I could be a co-executive producer, but there you anyway. go. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have that kind of money sitting around, unfortunately. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, there's a little blooper that they put at the end, uh, where I guess they decided not to put in the episode, but I guess they, they had this idea of a theme running throughout where Jesus can't tell directions. And so he shows up at the at the fountain where they're getting ready to leave Capernaum. And he's like, where is everybody? And, and James is like, oh, you actually said the, the northern quarter, and this is the southern quarter. He's like, ah, <laughs> I guess, you know. Unofficially.
1: Well, there you go. I didn't even know that. Didn't see that. Didn't watch it all the way to the end, apparently. Oh, or man. it's not in the... It's
0: only in your DVD set. Who knows? No, I think it's in the regular one. All right. I missed but it. But you do have to endure nine minutes of credits to get there. And God. I don't care how long the credits are. I watch all the credits of everything I watch. Man, I thought I did, but nevertheless...
1: Now, what do, we, do we have any like uh, overarching thoughts, Brent, about Season 1? Just big Season 1 takeaways?
0: Uh, it's fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. It blew me away. Like... Obviously we had a number of quibbles and that was the point of doing these episodes is talking about, you know, how did they do everything? But overall just unbelievable that this show exists and that it made it through the way that it did.
1: Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to give it an A. I'm not going to give it, I'm going to, I'm going to give it an A, A minus. I'm not going to give it an A plus yet. Um, but I really loved it. And uh, I only say that because as we record this, Brent, I'm halfway through season two, and it's really good.
0: It's truly amazing that this thing exists. Speaking of actual miracles, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously this
1: this show is a modern miracle. Absolutely, it is. And it, and maybe the lesson and the takeaway here is that I should be much less judgmental and quick to, you know, quick to, you know, much less quick to assume, much slower to assume. Um, because yeah, mud on my face, uh, I, I really think it's, it's
0: very well done. So there you go. Teach me a lesson, Jesus. It's honestly a very challenging job because like, you know, some characters, you have a lot of material to work with in the biblical text, but like, what do you do with Thaddeus? We don't know a whole lot about him. We don't know a whole lot about Zebedee. We don't know right. like Eden. We don't know Eden's name in the text. Like right. a lot of these characters, like they have to create and make work, and uh, and yeah, like I, I did. I say this in the in in another episode where where the uh, the rabbi their consultant said this is kind of like a Christian midrash on the Gospels.
1: Yeah, you did say that. I just listened to that. So that was the first uh, the first episode there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So like yeah they're they're trying to take all of these details in the text and some of them there aren't a lot of details to work with and they're trying to make them all fit into the story and overall they did a pretty good job yeah no i'm with you i'm with you all right well i think uh i think that concludes our our thoughts on season one then of the chosen i think so i think uh i think we're in a good spot it has been a true pleasure Glad we did this.
1: Absolutely. We'll have to, we'll give it some time and space and then maybe we'll circle back around. Maybe a little uh, Christmas, Christmas, and maybe a little season two coming up. Who knows? We'll see
0: how the people like it, Brent. All right. If
1: they want more, they're like, nope, no more of that. That was enough.
0: Thank you very much. Yeah. Give us your feedback. Let us know what you think. Uh, if you want to get a hold of Marty, you can find him on Twitter at Marty Solomon. I'm at EIBCB. You can go to Uh Go to the news tab there. Sign up for the Baylaw Messenger. We will send you uh, an email about once a month. We talk about stories uh, of what what people are doing with Bayma what uh, how it's changing their lives. Um, those are great stories every single month. I love going through those and, and sharing those. And uh, we share Marty's schedule. Uh, my schedule is as, as limited as that may be sometimes. Uh, but we talk about where we're going to be. We talk about Israel and Turkey trips like all sorts of reasons to sign up for the messenger to to be up to date on that and if you do there's other ways to contact us in the messenger as well so that was that was my point bringing up the messenger lots of ways to get in touch so thanks for joining us on the bama podcast this week we'll talk to you again soon